Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm your host for the show, as well as one of the pastors at Life Church. I want to thank you so much for joining us today and uh, for investing in this opportunity to grow and be challenged and to learn more about what God is doing in our world and in your life as well. Today, you're going to be hearing a sermon from Pastor Daniel, and it's the closer for our series on Ephesians. And uh, I got to say, this one might be one you want to listen to a couple times because the letter, 2,000 years ago, ends talking about spiritual warfare, to stand firm, to keep on praying. And I can't think of a more relevant subject to talk about than this right now in the world that we're living in. So you're going to want to listen to this one all the way through and really pay attention to what he has to say because it's really good and encouraging as well for whatever you're going through. I also want to uh, invite you to consider subscribing to this podcast if you haven't done so already. Share it with a friend if you think it might be impactful to them. And then also prayerfully consider investing in the work that we get to be a part of. And you can learn more about that by going to lifechurchcanton.org slash give. And then thank you ahead of time for your contribution. So without further ado, here is Pastor Daniel with our final installment of the Ephesians series. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Daniel, and I am one of the pastors here at Life Church Canton. And I'm delighted that we have this opportunity to worship together, so I want to welcome our first-time guests and our return guests. We are thankful to God that you are here with us to worship with us. We'd love to hear from you. And so if you would put I'm new in the comment section, we'd love to see how we can serve you now and in the future. And so we want to hear from you. I want to also welcome Life Church family. I miss you guys. It's been some time since we've had the privilege to worship together, to connect together in the body, uh, physically as well. But it's times like this that I'm super thankful that our union in Christ goes beyond the physical. It goes beyond physicality, but that we are united in Christ together forever by His Spirit and by His Word. And what a great providence God's Word has been to us in this season. What a great providence from God that we would be walking through the book of Ephesians in this season, this season that is filled with all kinds of disconnections and divisions in our society and even in our church. What great timing from God. And we'll be walking through a letter, a letter that is written to remind the Ephesians and us of our unity in Christ and to encourage and equip us to maintain that same unity. You know, when we were coming up with this title or this series itself over a year ago, we could have never fathomed or imagined what would be happening in our country, in our society, in our world today. We couldn't have fathomed or imagined the chaos that our society is in at this moment. But God knew. God in his sovereignty knew and prepared for us a letter thousands of years ago that's still relevant even today. You see, our hearts then When we begin to craft this sermon and our hearts now, it's the same. We want to faithfully teach through God's Word and explore all its implications for our lives and for our world. And for the last 12 weeks, uh, we have wrestled with how best to do that, how best to convey to you the weight of God's Word, trusting that God will use His Word to prune and refine His church. Well, folks, today is no different. My hope is that God's word today, his eternal truth, his ever-relevant truth will prune 
and refine our hearts and minds even now. So let's go to God in prayer so that He can do just that. Oh, Father, I thank You for all the people of God. I thank You for those who are listening now, today, on this day, those who will listen in the future, those who will see it on Facebook or on the podcast, wherever they are. Father, I pray that Your Word will speak to them even then. I pray that Your eternal truths would cause us to infectiously know You and share You. I pray that the Spirit of the living God would use the Word of God to reveal the Son of God so that everything we do today will be done to the glory of God. And if you are there, wherever you are, please say amen. Well, our scripture this morning, evening, wherever you find yourself, will be in the book of Ephesians. We are finishing up our series in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be camping out in verse 10 through 20. Our scripture is found in Paul's last letter to the Ephesians. So let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you are able to stand firm against all the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take on, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the day of evil. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put up put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance would be given to me in opening of my mouth to make known the, with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. And there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack in that text. There's a lot to unpack in the theme of today. As we come to the end of the series, though, I think it's helpful for us to recap a little bit of how far we have come, of what we have learned thus far. We do this for at least two reasons, so that we can appreciate the flow and the intentions of this letter, and also so that we can get the most out of our time this morning. Now, if you've been with us, you know that in chapters 1 through 3, we explore the calling of Christians, the calling of Christians. Namely, we explore the fact that as Christians, we have been called together as one new people in Christ. We have been adopted into God's family, and we are now fellow co-heirs of an eternal inheritance in Christ. In chapters 4 through 6, we explore the conduct of Christians, the conduct of Christians. We explore the fact that as new people in Christ, the Spirit empowers us to have godly conduct, that we are no longer to be characterized by the thoughts 
the words and the actions of this world. We are no longer to be like those who ignore God and therefore are alienated from God, alienated from new life in Christ. And finally today, as we conclude this series, we will explore the conflict of Christians. Now, in order to unpack that, to help us unpack this text and that topic, I have four observations that I feel will help us, four observations pulled directly out of the text that will help us understand the movement of the text, but also Paul's purpose for this passage. First, we will look at the admonition to Christians. You see that in verses 11, verses 10, 11, and 13, the admonition, the warning, the urging to Christians. Secondly, you see the adversary of Christians. We have an enemy, and the Bible describes him and them for us. You see that in verses 11 through 12. And then thirdly, the armor of Christians. That's in verse 14 through 17. We have been given spiritual weaponry. And finally, the attitude of Christians. As we enter into this war, this battle, how are we supposed to think? Let's explore the first observation the admonition to Christians. Paul says in verse 10 and 11, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, in this section, Paul captures, uh, the sections captures for us Paul's final words in this letter to the church of God in Ephesus. And it ends with an admonition, an urgent warning to stand firm in the Lord by doing what, Paul? By putting on the full armor of God. Paul says, be strong. And a little technical here, but this, this, this verb in the Greek is in the, what we call the passive voice. And it's also in the present tense. Simply said, what this means is that God is the one that is causing us to stand. And all we are called to do is to position ourselves in a place in the armor of God so that we can keep on experiencing his strengthening. You see, Paul is setting the mind of his readers straight from the start, and our minds too as we read it. He's letting them know that the conflict, the warfare that he's getting ready to speak about is way beyond their control, that it's way beyond their power, and that they need something and someone beyond them. Paul uses three different Greek words to define power here. Our English word power has one nuance to it. But in the Greek, Paul uses three distinct important words. He he does this to convey our utter dependence on God, especially in light of the ever-present conflict that rages on behind the scenes, the conflict that he's getting ready to share with us. Paul is essentially saying, that the power to stand against the schemes of the devil is empowered by the power that is only found in God. Maybe I can make that a little more clear. Paul is saying that in God alone lies the power to give the ability to overpower the resistant and overwhelming schemes of the devil. The word here, schemes, is also interesting to us. It carries the idea of cleverness. The devil is not some dull, dumb foe. It's clever. It carries a sense of crafty and cunning methods. It carries a sense of a systemic web of deception. You see, Satan's schemes are spread throughout the world's systems over which he is the ruler. And they are carried out by his minions, his demons, fallen angels who do his bidding. Schemes here is all-inclusive. 
The devil entices and influences people to reject God and to indulge in all kinds of immoral practices, false theologies, fake religions, and systems and ideologies that contradict the very will and way and word of God. In the context of Ephesians, the schemes are a little more precise. You see, the schemes here are the deliberate attacks from the devil to destroy the unity of the church. Well, how appropriate is that for this season? Paul is writing a letter thousands of years ago about the cunning ways of the devil and how he seeps in to destroy the very bond of unity that the church has. If you've been paying attention, that's an amen moment right there. He does this through the invasion of false doctrine, frequent dissension, and fierce division. The devil wants to produce sin and animosity between us in order to, def- to destroy our unity. And he uses every possible approach and strategy to accomplish his goal. He is a one-track mind person. Question for you. Are you aware of the devil's schemes and strategies in your life? Are you mindful of the ways you have been lured away from God daily? Or do you go through life forgetting the fact that you have a cunningly evil and strategically deceptive adversary who seeks nothing more than to destroy you, to destroy your union with Christ and in Christ? You see, as we begin to look at our foe, we get the understanding of what Paul is saying, that the only The only hope we have against this widespread, this widespread systemic influence over our world is to put on the full armor of God. Notice it didn't say the halfway armor of God, but the full armor. This is God's complete armor. It's his armor that he gives us as the Christian to put it on. You see here, to put on conveys the idea of permanence. This is your everyday uniform. You know your favorite shirt that you have? This armor is your favorite shirt. This armor is your all-day, every-day, every-occasion outfit. We are called to be clothed in the armor of God. And by so doing, we are then prepared to stand against the battery of assaults and attacks that come against us from an adversary that seems to not sleep. In verse 13, Paul repeats this admonition. He repeats his admonition with even more precise and insightful understanding. He gives us insight into the intensity of the battle and therefore the importance of the armor of God that we've been given. Paul says in verse 13, take up, therefore, why for? Because we have a devil that schemes against us, take up the full armor of God. Why, Paul? So you can resist in the evil day And then having done everything to resist, still resist more. Stand firm. The purpose of putting on God's armor is not to be cute. It's not to seem deep and profound, but it's practical. There is a war. I want you to notice something here. We are called to put on the armor of God in order to resist the schemes of the devil or the strategies of the devil. Notice what you don't see here. You do not see anywhere a command to attack, but to resist. You don't see a command here to advance against the devil, but to keep the ground that God has already won in Christ. 
Folks, we are fighting from victory, not for victory. Our duty is simple. We are to take up the full armor of God, which enables us to resist the devil, even in the worst of times, when the battle is raging on and the battle is at its most intensive. You keep that armor on. You know, I don't have to tell that to a soldier. I don't have to tell a soldier to keep his armor on. But yet we have a more insidious enemy than any enemy that this world has ever seen. Yet we think we can take off and put down the armor. Paul says, keep the armor on, especially for those days when things get evil. This is not to say that there is some future date where things are going to get worse. Uh, To a certain extent, that's true. When all things are said and done, when Christ comes back, the final battle. But this is intending to tell you that in your life, there are ebbs and flows. There are times where you can feel the enemy breathing on you, and there are times where you think he's taking a nap. You know, the Nigerians have a saying, when a tiger steps lightly, it's not because he's afraid of you. It's because he's strategically planning the best time to attack you. Paul says in those moments, when you are faced with evil that is even beyond the normal, by the demonic and determined attacks of the devil, keep your armor on. Paul is intending to remind us of the ferociousness of our enemy, that we are to keep it on. The Bible is very clear that without the armor, we don't stand a chance. We don't stand a chance against the devil and his forces. You see, without God's armor, we will be defeated. We are already defeated if we don't have the armor on because the schemes of the devil are super effective. And guess what? They have been effective for thousands and thousands of years, even in the beginning of humanity. Just ask Adam and Eve. They felt the trickery. They experienced the cunningness of the devil. That's why we're in the state we're in now. Folks, we have a resourceful and relentless adversary. We are therefore called to keep on the armor of God. As a good soldier, we are to be vigilant and ready to defend and resist against any demonic advancement against the kingdom of God. Question for you. Do you think too little of the devil, of his power and influence on this world? Are you going through life in your own strength, perhaps in your own armor? Are you attacking demonic forces, or are you standing firm in the armor of God? This brings us to our second observation, the adversary of the Christians. You see this in verse 11 and 12. Look with me, if you will. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Quickly, we are introduced to our foe and that he has schemes. But just who is the devil? Well, if you believe much of what we see on TV today, he's a strikingly handsome man with all the power and all the gifts and qualities that men and women lust after. There are countless ministries, movements, and mediums that are dedicated to the worship of this being who some say he's not as bad as they say he is, while others say he's actually good. Some say he's merely a figment of our imagination, a throwback, a relic from the, from the old fables and myths overdue to be retired from our psyche and our conversation. Others say that 
Just the name of the devil, at the name of the devil, they tremble. They are paralyzed with fear. They're gripped with fear at the mere mention Lucifer. Others yet still say that the devil is beneath them. He doesn't have as much power or prowess as them. And so they unwisely wage war against a cosmic adversary and become his victims. Others say he's the spiritual equal to God, that he's the yang to God's yin, capable of frustrating God's plans and purposes. And finally, there are some who say he's just a scapegoat. He is what we use to scapegoat our bad decisions. He's the one that we blame for every evil thing we do. He's the one that we use as an excuse from taking personal responsibility. You've heard the refrain before. In the words of Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. A man or a woman cheats on their spouse, breaking their heart and their home. The devil made me do it. A CEO embezzles millions of dollars, leaving his company and his employees' lives in total shambles. The devil made me do it. A pastor abuses their congregation, causing deep and lasting pain and damage. The devil made me do it. You see, everyone has an opinion about who, what the devil is and if he even exists. In fact, I'm reminded of an old saying. It says that the greatest trick that the devil's ever pulled off was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. Think about that. I would update that. In our time, I think the greatest trick that the devil's ever pulled off is to convince us that he is whoever we think he is, that he's good when we need him, he's a scapegoat when we need him, he's the excuse from taking person, he's whatever we say he is except what God himself says he is. Question for you. Who or what has shaped your understanding of the devil? Is your understanding of the devil based on the Bible? Or is it based on random information, myths, and fables, and lore? Oh, there's something more that the Bible has to say about this character, this figure, this adversary, if you will. Paul uses a Greek term, diabolos. You've heard it before, el diablo, the devil. It simply means slanderer or accuser. It's actually not a name, but a title. It's an official title and position. Think spiritual prosecutor. In Revelations, he is referred to as the accuser, the slanderer of the brethren, the one who accuses us to God constantly, constantly bringing up your name before God. Look at the book of Job. Have you, have you seen John? Have you seen Daniel? He accuses us to God in the hope that God will reject us and cast us out into darkness as he is in darkness. And then he accuses God to us. It's a two-way street. He tells God how bad we are, and then he tells us how bad God is. Genesis chapter 3. He accuses God to us, hoping that we will doubt his love for us his faithfulness to us, so that we can reject him and be easy prey for the adversary to devour. Ephesians chapter 2 reveals the devil 
as the originator of all false teaching and false religions. He is called the prince or the ruler of all evil spirits, of all demons. He is the unseen force, the unseen influence behind the hatred of God and the rejection of God's character and the very rejection of God's existence. In the word of the old philosopher, we have killed God from our conscience. He's behind that. He's not alone, though. Bad news just got worse. He's got friends. He has a myriad of fallen angels, of demons who are at his beck and call 24-7. And what is the purpose? What is that singular purpose that binds them together? The corruption of the human race in rebellion against God. We've become pawns in this cosmic battle. Look at verse 12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness. Where? In heavenly places. Paul says we struggle not against human beings, but against spirits that we can't even comprehend. This word struggle here has to do with hand-to-hand combat. This is close-quarter combat. Some translations even use the word wrestle instead, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's meant to show the intimate nature of the battle. Oh, yeah, the battle and the war is raging on around us, but there's a war in here, a battle for our minds, for our soul, for our will. This is up close and personal. The warfare is around us, but it's also in us. Paul uses four important designations. Rulers. Powers, world forces, and spiritual forces. All of these are different levels and rankings of angels. That's important to understand because you see our adversary is highly structured. He is extremely wicked and systemically destructive. There is order in the kingdom of the devil. They've got rank and file. They stay in their lane. Try telling that to some Christians. This is why we need the armor of God, because we're not wrestling with or struggling against human beings, but against powerful and skillful hosts of supernatural beings that spend their time studying you to see how they can capture your soul. Our battle is not physical, but spiritual. And our enemies, they are many. They are powerful. They are wicked, and they are everywhere. They are forces who stand behind all of the systemic evil in our world. They are forces who stand to oppose the very will of God. They are forces who are dedicated to destroying the church one member at a time, one church at a time, one nation at a time. So this is why it's important for us to recognize the nature of our opponents. And when we understand the nature of our opponents, then we will understand the nature of our warfare. And when we figure that out, the question will be, then where is our weapons? Because like Paul says, they can't be carnal, they can't be human, because this is a spiritual battle. This brings us to our third observation, the armor for the Christians. Paul says in verse 14, stand therefore having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, 
And in all of this, once you've done all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flames of the arrows that come from the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In this section, Paul uses the Roman uniform to describe how we are meant to prepare for war. Some say that it's because he spent years strapped to a Roman soldier under house arrest. So he had all the time in the world to begin to pick apart and say, oh, this is what you need. He uses that as a metaphor to show us about this ongoing conflict that we need to be steadily, readily available for. Paul lists six pieces of the armor, six pieces of the Roman armor that correspond to six pieces of the Christian armor. It's interesting, though. Paul lists six pieces, five of which are mainly defensive. Well, they can be offensive too, but they're mainly defensive. Only one of them is categorically offensive. Why does Paul do this? Perhaps he does this to show the defensive nature of the battle that we are in, because you see, our adversary doesn't take a day off. He's got myriads and myriads of angels at his, fallen angels at his disposal. He's always on the attack. Our adversary is both restless and relentless. Talk about relentless pursuit of one more. That's a slogan in hell, too. This is why the apostle Peter, Paul's contemporary, says to us, he reminds us in his first letter to always be on the alert. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says it this way, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Why? You see, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Bet you didn't know that was in the scripture. What imagery? Look at the language here. We know that lions and tigers typically prowl when they're hungry. Lion is fed, fully fed. Lion chills, will lick your face and keep you going. But a hungry lion, a ferocious lion, think of a starved lion that's roaming around and whatever comes his way, and it could be you, is being devoured. What imagery? This is why Paul says it's urgent. He urges us, he uses the imperative language to say, you've got to keep this armor on. You can't afford to take the armor off. There is no sleep time for the Christian. You must stand firm in the armor of God. Now, unfortunately, I won't have time to unpack all six of these. So I'm going to narrow into one piece of the armor, the belt of truth. Now, you may be wondering, why pick that one? Why not the low-hanging fruit of the sword of the Spirit? Everybody wants to talk about a sword. Shing, shing, we want to cut something, slice into something. Amen. Or maybe the shield of faith, because you know he's throwing darts. I, I want to I hold that up. The answer is simple. I picked the belt of truth because, you see, for the, for the Roman soldier, this was the most foundational piece of his armory. The Roman soldiers, they wore tunics, loose-fitting clothes that hang everywhere. And so, and since much of ancient combat was hand-to-hand, they had to have a belt. You see, if they didn't have a belt to tuck all that in, it was dangerous. They could get their belt, their, their tunic snagged on something and pulled back, and it could limit their movement. The devil could, the adversary could pull it over their head, and they could just get hit with all kinds of blows. Anything could happen when you have all this loose stuff going around. 
So a belt was super necessary to tie up all the hanging material, all the loose ends, if you will. You see, in the same way that the belt is for the Roman, so is truth for the Christian. Truth is vital to our faith. Truth is the foundation of our faith. Truth is what sets us free. Christ says, if you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Everything that hinders us is tucked away in truth and cannot be used against us. Paul kind of alludes to this in chapter 4 where he says, give no room for the devil. Give no foothold because then he'll be a stronghold and then fully you're his. But give no room, no opportunity, no space. Practice social distancing with the devil, spiritually speaking. You see, for the Roman soldier, not only did the belt tie up the robe so that it wouldn't get in the way. The belt also did something else that was super important. See, the belt was what he tied his sword to. That's a two for one. Your weapon, the only offense you have, the very word of God, is tied to truth. You know the implications of that? You can swing sword all you want. If it ain't tied to the truth of God, it means nothing. Demonic warfare, as one of these authors will say, is not about a power encounter. It's about a truth encounter. I believe this is why Paul himself starts with this piece of the armor. Because Paul understood, like the Roman, that wearing a belt means that you were ready for war. That you were ready to hang everything else on this truth. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, verse 20, Paul says it this way. He states emphatically that truth is only found in Christ. And Jesus himself, in his own self-declaration, I am the truth, the way, and the life. These are all synonyms. I am the truth. And the truth here has no definite article or indefinite article, so it's objective truth. Truth is found only in Christ, i.e., truth is Christ. This is the most foundational piece of our armor. Truth is the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of the Bible. This is what prepares us for the battle now and the battle to come. Question for you. What is the source of your truth? Or what is your source for truth or of truth? Is it the latest and most favorite blog? Is it the most recent post from your favorite social media influencer or pundit? Do you filter your thoughts and actions through God's word, through his truth? Or is your attitude, I'll do whatever feels good to me? This brings us to our final observation, the attitude of the Christian. Paul says in verse 18 through 20, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and all petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf, Paul says, that I would be okay, that my finances will go well, that no, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. 
for which I have become an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Right on, Paul. Paul ends this section on spiritual warfare not by taking a breather, but by requesting and reminding the readers and us that you've got to pray in the Spirit and you've got to be on the alert, not only for yourself, but for all Christians. The term that Paul uses here, with all prayers and at all times in verse 18, it points to the importance of prayer in the life of the Christian. It speaks to the the variety and the frequency of prayer. It suggests for us that Christians must be in constant prayer as they both prepare for and engage in spiritual conflict. So important is prayer that the super apostle Paul himself requests and pleads for prayer. He says, pray for me as I face this conflict. Paul knew that he was facing and had been facing spiritual conflict. Even the great apostle Paul needed prayer against the attacks of the adversary. How much, much us. The adversary comes in to, to plant the seeds of doubt and fear. That's relevant in our season too. How much has this season affected our fear, our trust in the Lord, and we've doubted him? How much have we feared each other, feared the conversations that are hard to have because we doubt our love for each other? Paul asked the Ephesians to pray both for the words to say and the conviction to say those words. He asked for supernatural power in order to present the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, even while in jail. And while facing insurmountable forces, look at Paul. I mean, he's either the dumbest one or he's passionate and believes what he says. I got locked up and I'm going to pray for you to give me the power to keep doing what I got locked up for in the first place. Amen. He asked for supernatural power. You see, the reason Paul did that, because Like the demons whose main focus was to destroy, to devour, to destroy the church of God, to rebel against God, Paul's main goal, Paul's drive in life was to see people come to Christ. This is why the top of our code is driven by new life. Paul is driven by Christ who is life. Paul says, I got an insurmountable adversary And I've got to keep the armor on, and I've got to bathe the armor in prayer because the armor is dependent on God because this is God's armor. Paul knew that his opposition was spiritual and that spiritual battles are only fought and won through prayer. Final question for you. How is your prayer life? Maybe a deeper question. Do you even have a prayer life. You see, whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, folks, we are in a war. We are in a battle. And a battle is for our souls, our minds, all of what we are. And we are fighting an adversary who's been at it longer than you've been alive, longer than humans have been alive. One who has rebelled against God since the beginning of time, 
one whose only hope and goal is to hurt God by hurting you. Our wrestle and our fight and our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against a, an adversary, a spiritually powerful adversary and his demons. It's bad enough to have the devil as an adversary. You've got myriads of them. As I conclude this, I want to recap that this is why Paul, this is why Paul admonishes us. This is the big idea of all of this. Paul admonishes us to know and to resist the schemes of our powerful adversary by putting on the full armor of God while keeping everything in an attitude of prayer. We've been warned. We've been admonished. We've been informed. We've revealed our enemy. We've been equipped. We have armor. And we've been given an attitude. We've been given a directive. Bathe it all in prayer, in your total submission to God. I have some action steps for us. But I want to talk to the people in whatever room you're in. Maybe you've strayed away from God. And maybe you've never known God. Can I be bold with you and honest with you for a second? Perhaps you're already, not even perhaps, you are already a casualty of the war. But in Christ's providence, by the grace of God, you are here listening to this message to remind you that you don't have to stay a casualty. You can come to Christ now and experience his love, his protection, his faithfulness. And you too can put on the armor of God. Perhaps I can lead you in this prayer. God, I hear the preacher man speak about the war that's raging. And maybe you believe and maybe you don't yet. And maybe you do. God, I wish that you would open my eyes to see beyond what's in front of me. To know that what you see ain't what you get. And my hope and my prayer, folks, is that as you pray that prayer, that God will meet you now where you are. That the Spirit of the living God will reveal the Son of God to you. And that you would encounter Christ and you would know his salvation. And if you pray that for the first time or for the upteenth time, we want to hear from you. We want to connect with you and see how we can walk with you. It's not because we got it figured out. As the old man used to say, we are nothing but beggars who found bread and who are showing you how to get bread for yourself. For the rest of us in the room who claim Christ as Lord, or better yet, who are claimed by Christ as his, who are been given an inheritance which includes the armor of God, I have three action steps directly from this text for you. First, I want to encourage you to pray at all times. All right, that's it, I'm done. Yeah, pray at all times. Pray at all times. But specifically, I want you to pray for all Christians 
that we would be encouraged in our spirit to put on the whole armor of God in light of the warfare and the evil forces that surround us. Especially in this season of disconnection and division. Especially because of the the myriad of false theologies and false doctrines and false religions that are out there. Especially in light of the demigods that have raised themselves up to be our savior when we only have one savior who is Christ. Especially because the devil is devouring souls left and right and trying to make shipwreck of our faith. Pray for all the saints that we would put on the armor of God. Secondly, I want you to pray. Pray that every preacher, every pastor, every minister would be empowered by the Spirit of God to know the truth of God and to boldly declare it even in the face of opposition. Because if you ain't feeling it yet, it's coming. Paul prays this even in light of his chains. Even in light of his imprisonment, he prays for more power to speak more truth and perhaps to be locked up even more, which is what happened to him. Finally, I want to encourage you, encourage us to be determined to get into God's word daily so that you can recognize and resist the devil and his schemes in your life. To quote the poet and the prophet G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle. When you know your enemy, you can strategize. You've only been called to do one thing, put on the full armor of God. And brethren, I pray you would do so. And knowing that you put that on, not alone, but the Spirit empowers you to put it on and keep it on. Let me pray for us. Lord, we commit our time to you. My prayer and my hope is that this word was relevant to our souls, that you open up our eyes and our minds to understand the weight and the gravity of this text. I pray we would continue to be rocked more by the beauty of the Savior than the heinousness of Satan. More by the glorious goodness and the love of God and the faithfulness of God than the fierce adversary that seeks to devour us. That whenever fear or doubt seeps in, that you would remind us of this text that we would begin to see the areas in which the armor has chinks in it and shore it up in the truth of God's word. Even as I speak now, the adversary is at work seeking to take the truth of God's word out of our hearts, to make it irrelevant, to make it of no effect in our lives. Father, I pray against that in Jesus' name you would certify our hearts, that you would seal us, as you said in in Ephesians chapter 2, that you've sealed us with your Holy Spirit, cause us to live a life that is honoring to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.